So today, you guys are in for a, uh, a treat. Um, just incredible uh, teaching gift that he has, preaching gift, uh, exceptional gifts that way. But beyond Maurice's gifts, um, he is a strong, authentic uh, man with a heart for people and a heart uh, that loves God. And just being around him, even this weekend again, uh, it just, every time I'm, I learn something, I'm inspired, he teaches me so much, um, he's wise beyond his years, the hand of God is on him uh, and with an anointing, just a real special way. By the way, that's my campaign to try to be the president of his fan club someday when that gets started, so I'm doing my best to get up early on that. Um, also, maybe even better yet, Maurice is uh, married to Aisha, are you hiding? There we are, right in back here. She's also an incredibly gifted pastor and preacher, uh, and she is giving birth to their first child in April. So, woohoo! Yes, excited about that. Um, Heidi and I told her, uh, "Hey, when you get sick of the Denver winter sometime here, just hop on a plane, come back to Arizona. We'd love to have you preach." So, but this morning you get Maurice. So we all give a warm Hope family welcome to Pastor Maurice Cox. Good morning. Hope Cody, there we are. So good to see you all on today. Uh, like Doug said, my name is Maurice. It is so good to be with you all on this morning. Um, my wife and I, we're here in Arizona, um, and we have been enjoying our time. We are originally from Los Angeles, born and raised in Los Angeles, California. Um, our last stop was living actually east of Los Angeles in Riverside, if you're familiar with the area. Um, our last six years, we have lived in Boulder, Colorado. Um, like I told first service, um, I'm a person, as you get to know me a little bit more, um, I'm not shying away from naming the things in the elephant in the room. Uh, a chocolate brother in Boulder, Colorado from Los Angeles. My first year, I was like, wow, this is a very different place than Los Angeles. <laughs> when, they were in the, when I was in the hiring process, they said, now, Maurice, you got to be honest with you. You know, they gave me statistics. We were around 98% white here. They said, you're going to be in a very different area. I said, oh, I'm fine. I'm from Los Angeles. I've been around all sorts of types of people, all these different things. And then I got to Colorado. And I was like, I knew that it snowed. I just didn't know that it snowed people. And I was just like, this was a first for me. This was a first, you know. Um, but I have been enjoying it, my role there as teaching pastor. And also I do some amazing things uh, with racial reconciliation that I've enjoyed for the past couple of years. Um, one of the things that I'm excited about for our time together is getting into God's word. Uh, but before I do, there are a few things I want to make mention of. Uh, one of those things is, like I said, I have some, uh, actually text a few friends and family to be in town, uh, that were in town, um, and they're here. So I just want to acknowledge them and thank them for being in the room. Um, also, I'm one who is loving, love, loving. I don't always get a chance to travel with my wife when I take speaking engagements. And so um, having Aisha with me, my wife, my boo, my girlfriend, my loved one, my partner, my forever. Thank you so much for being here with me. And then I got the picture. Yeah, we got a picture back there. There we go. A little bundle of joy on the way. Yes, yes, yes. I love, love, love my wife, okay? And I'm so excited for our bundle of joy. Um, a part of our story, I won't get into it this time. Maybe they'll invite me on next time. But a part of our story that we've uh, been trying for many, many years um, and faced with a lot of infertility struggles. And so um, this one, I wake up every morning just looking at her belly like, oh, my goodness. Like, she doesn't like me saying this, but I'm like, I want you to just be like big. And I, I love this bundle of joy. I'm excited. Um, but, yeah, uh, she's like, chill. <laughs> 
Um, I'm also a big fan of giving honor where honor is due, and um, I just need you all this morning to help me celebrate your leaders, your pastors, your people who have a God is sent here and are anointed and loved. Um, Doug and Heidi, thank you so much for all that you do. Can we give it up for them? Aisha and I have been so blessed by their hospitality, their encouragement, and um, even just being able to hang out this weekend. Uh, we flew in a little bit earlier and just enjoying Arizona and going all over, and it was just been exciting. It's just been fun. My wife and I, we were driving, and um, we were um, going to um, Dolly Steamboat. Is that what it's called? Dolly Steamboat? Um, and she's driving so slow because of cactus. I, like, she's literally like... Look at the cactus. I'm like, have we not seen cactus before? Like, what is happening right now? And she like a line of people behind her, and she's just like, oh my gosh. I was like, okay, a cactus. And so she said she's gonna try to bring a cactus home. And I'm like, you know that if you touch that. Like, I feel like she was so obsessed that she was like probably just like, oh my gosh. Like, I was like, just beware. Like this weird obsession right now with cactus. Oh uh, man. So thank you for having us, and um, yeah, I'm family, and I'm excited to be here with y'all. Um, I told First Service as well, um, being a chocolate preacher, I, I like to make sure we preach together, okay? Where I come from, you're not going to distract me. I'm not going to be thrown off by anything. If you feel an amen, if you feel a, a go ahead, brother, if you feel whatever it may be that comes to mind, if the word is resonating with you, you go ahead and say that, all right? Amen. amen. There we are. We're warming up. We're warming up already. Well, as we get started, there was a guest preacher who went to a church, and uh, him and the lead pastor were talking in the back, and they got to this point where they started talking, and they said, okay, well, how much time do I have? And the guest preacher said, or the guest preacher was asking the pastor that, and the pastor said, man, you preach heaven down, you take as long as you want, you do what you got to do, but the people leave at 1130, okay? <laughs> All right. So I'm going to go ahead and get started. Would you bow your heads and pray with me this morning? God, thank you so much for our time together. Thank you so much for this moment. Thank you for church. Thank you for laughter. Thank you for community. Thank you for your presence this morning. Thank you for speaking this morning. Thank you, Lord, for breaking chains this morning. Thank you, Lord, this morning for us to step into your spirit, your presence, your moment right now, this preached moment, your preached word, Trusting and relying on you, for we are not ashamed of the gospel, for it is, un, it is the power unto salvation. And may that be this very moment. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This morning I get a chance to talk about hope. I feel a little underprepared talking about hope at Hope Church. I didn't even know that was the name of this church until I got here. I'm sure you guys have dissected and pulled apart that word and all the different things, but alongside that we get to talk a chance to lean into the story of Jesus in this Advent season. Advent being this, this sort of a, a, this expectant, uh, expectancy and arrive, waiting on the arrival of Jesus, waiting for Jesus to come again. The way that I want to get there is I want to tell a little story that I know of. It starts out with talking and detailing the life of Princess Diana. Princess Diana was the princess of Wales. If you're 25 and younger, you probably don't know who I'm talking about. I don't know if we got any youngest in the room. But she was beloved more than most. She, on the face, she had her face on hundreds of covers of magazines. 
Her wedding worldwide was watched by 750 million people. That is six times the number of people who watch the Super Bowl. Unless the Patriots are playing and nobody wants to watch that, right? (laughs) Come on, that should have been an amen in Arizona. All right, come on. In the tragedy of her passing away, it was actually in that moment that two billion people tuned in to show their condolences. She was beloved. She was watched by many. She was, had this gravitational pull that, around her because of the things that she did. But we understand, and looking back, there are many people who have written documentaries and written uh, different essays and different things about what was it that made her so special. Princess Diana, to some, even called Lady Di. What was it that made her so special? It wasn't so much of her majesty. It wasn't so much of her royalty. It was actually what she chose to do with her royalty. We look back and people have written all sorts of things and we see that she had a way about her that she would set her royalty aside and do things that royals seldom do. Set her royalty aside and do things royals seldom do. In 1987, in the, heights, in the height of the AIDS epidemic, when we didn't know much about it, it was this stigma and people treated people who had AIDS like the plague. It was Lady Di, caught on, with a picture on the t- uh, cover of Time magazine, shaking hands with no gloves on with a patient who had AIDS. In 1997, she is seen at this place full of landmines walking through a field in Angola. She's famously videoed walking in a field full of live landmines. It was Fleming Rutledge in her essays who captured the essence of Princess Diana. In her essay, she says, what made Lady Diana so special was in the majesty of Diana, majesty stooped. In the majesty of Diana, majesty stooped. For the past few moments, I've been talking about Princess Diana, and for the next few moments, I want to talk about King Jesus. Because it wasn't only her majesty who would do things that that royals seldom did. It was also his majesty who was the first to actually set aside royalty and stoop. This morning, as we talk about hope, I want to lean into the message of the gospel to to talk about what happened when majesty stooped down. What happened when God himself set aside royalty, and came to this world, it was hope that was birthed. Hope was birthed out of this moment of majesty stooping down. That's good news for many of us this morning. But as we talk about hope, there is a tension that also comes with hope, if we're honest, this morning. Like, like as I'm in my sermon preparation, sometimes I think about certain objections that people would have normal people, that we would all have, that sometimes I even have. As we talk about hope this morning, some of the things that I think about is, what hope are we talking about? 
What hope are we talking about? Are we talking about the hope that we see in movies where we see that we know the ending, where already where the ending is going to happen, and we know the plot, but yet we're hopeful and we're kind of tense of when it's going to happen and, and how many more Fast and Furious movies do we need to know or see before we recognize The Rock is going to come out and he's going to save the day, all the different things. Is that the hope that we're talking about this morning? Is it the hope that we have when we're going for that job and we hope that they call us back? Is it the hope that politicians give us year after year that this is going to be the thing to hold on to? Don't worry, hold on to your seats. I'm not going to get into politics today. You're fine. It's all good. Is that the hope that we're talking about? Is it the hope that if you're a person that's single and you're looking for a significant other, you're wondering where your mate is, where your spouse is? Is it the hope that you hope, find, you hope to find somebody that day? Is that the hope that we're talking about? Is it the hope that we have in our sports teams? I don't know who the major team is here, but uh, I know Cardinals, but I'm, colleges, I started bringing up certain things. People got upset last service, but I, I'm trying to figure out. You know, I don't know. Is that the hope? <laughs> what hope are we talking about this morning? You know, I'm coming from Boulder right now. We got Deion Sanders, y'all. I'm excited. See you, Boulder, baby. <laughs> Deion Sanders, prime time is the coach. If you didn't know, he's coaching now at Boulder, and we might win. I'm hopeful, right? <laughs> is that the hope that we're talking about? Or uh, I started thinking about not only what is that hope, but where is hope? If we take a true analysis of our time in our world this morning and start to take a look at some things, things seem pretty gloomy. 1.4 billion people live on less than a dollar a day. 41 million people will die this year from preventable diseases. Hundreds, hundreds of thousands of children are in the foster care system waiting on someone to choose them. If we make it a little bit more closer to home, there may be some people under the sound of my voice. You're wondering and you're thinking to yourself, Maurice, I hear you, pastor, you look a little young. I don't know if you know exactly what you're talking about. But when we talk about hope, I'm looking at my world, I'm looking at my financial situation, and I have more month than I have money. I'm in a financial bind. Where is hope? Where is hope when marriage feels more like we're roommates than we are best friends living in a flourishing relationship with each other? Where is hope when it feels like there's no purpose in life? It feels like I'm wandering and it's floating. And I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to be doing in life. Where is hope when people... Maybe in this room, you wake up and you look in the mirror and you are depressed because of certain body image issues. Clothes don't fit like they used to and you don't even go out anymore because of how you look in the mirror to yourself. Where is hope? Christmas, if we're honest with ourselves, is also for many people marked by loss. We don't have the same people at the Christmas table that was here a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, a decade ago, 20 years ago. It doesn't matter the time. Nothing truly fills that hole when we lose someone. At best, things seem dark. 
Now, I know this is a Christmas message, and I know we're looking for the joy and the smiles, but I think we won't fully know and embrace the true Christmas story if we don't recognize the backdrop of what was taking place at that time. And when we look at our world, we see that not only was it darkness then, but it's darkness now. Hope Church, I have two things that I want to preach to you this morning, two simple ideas that bring us all the way home when it comes to the Christmas message that show us hope and give us hope for today. It's this right here that I submit to you, Hope Church, that God, point number one, God is familiar with overcoming darkness. I know that we're in a dark place. I know it seems a lot that it's taking place when we look at our own personal and worldwide situation that there is a darkness that's lingering at times. But King Jesus, this is something that is not uh, new to him. It may be new to you. It may be new to your story. It may be new to your own situation. But God is familiar with overcoming darkness. Okay, there it is. I gave it a few amens. Go ahead and nudge the person next to you. I know you don't do this every Sunday, but go ahead and just nudge the person next to you and let them know God is familiar with overcoming darkness. You can go ahead. That's, you can go ahead and do that. There we go. Go ahead and nudge the person next to you. Actually, God is familiar with overcoming darkness. Today we're going to read Isaiah chapter 9. In Isaiah chapter 9, this is one that we see quoted, one that we see with a lot of things around it, but we're excited about it. It brings a smile to our face, but there's a darkness in which Isaiah writes this. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says these words, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now, Hope Church, this morning, this text it's one that we love to talk about. But, but there's a backdrop. There, there's a context that I think we must lean into if we're really going to experience the hope of the Christmas season. I, I was writing my sermon, and the way I thought about it is uh, when I started thinking about uh, my nephew, Jalen. My, my sister has a son. His name is Jalen. He's a wild child. He's the one that you need to be praying for, Hope Covenant. This is the one. He, he's about 10 years old, wild child, always. I mean, the one where you just every 10 minutes, you got to be, what is Jalen doing? What is Jalen doing? He's touching something. What is Jalen doing? Jumping off of something. He's the wild child, y'all. And I thought about this because uh, for Thanksgiving, uh, we like to, I'm going to come from a stereotypical black household. I mean, we go all out Thanksgiving. I mean, we got the candy yams. We got the cornbread stuffing and not stuffing with a G, stuffing. We got cornbread stuffing. Uh, we got the turkey. We got the greens. We got the mashed potato. We got the whole nine, y'all. I mean, it's the everything out. That's why I look a little bit like I look, but don't look too close, okay? But, but, but it's this whole, this whole Thanksgiving meal. We lay it all out. My parents, my dad actually is one who, who not only cooks turkey, not only cooks ham, every now and then he'll cook uh, uh, um, ribs. He'll put ribs on the table, y'all. 
We just go all out. It's this whole ordeal. It's this big old thing. It's this big old feast. And like normal, like many people in their table, their, uh, their dinner table, it's also the pies, y'all, the pies. Now, for us, we do sweet potato pie and pecan pie. Don't bring no pumpkin pie to the Cox household. Don't, don't bring no pumpkin pie to the Cox household. So we got the whole spread. We got all the food like Thanksgiving, and we got the pies. We got my grandma even sometimes just put a cake down there. We got all this stuff. It's not gluten-free. It's not dairy-free. I'm going to apologize. All in Boulder, they just got a whole bunch of free this and free lactose-free. I'm like, give me the good stuff. Put the gluten in it. I'm sorry for those who are allergy-free. God's going to get me back because I always talk about y'all. I'm sorry. But these are ones where I'm like sitting back and I'm like, yeah, the whole table, the whole spread. And like normal, you know, we're getting ready for dinner. We're about to pray. And and as soon as we finish praying, my nephew Jalen, he passes up all of the food. He goes for them pies. He goes for the sweet stuff. He passes the substance and he reaches for the sweet stuff. I I, I say that because I think when we look at this passage, if we're not careful, we can just admire it as the sweet thing. We can look at this passage as one of those Hobby Lobby aisles where we just walk down and we're excited and we put it unto us a child is born and we put it on the frame and we we love it and we just kind of put you know dazzles around it whatever and we make it all sweet and once again it is awesome right we got that in my house but if we look at the context of what is taking place here it's more than just a bumper sticker bumper sticker and a picture frame if we aren't careful it can stay in a nice frame but we get no substance. So this morning, I put an emphasis on darkness because this is when Isaiah is writing. This is the context that Isaiah is writing in. And when there is a darkness, a spiritual darkness and a societal darkness, an internal darkness and a external darkness, as he is pinning these words, he's not just in a joyful mood, but there is a hope that comes in his birth because he recognizes majesty is about to stoop. Majesty is about to come to us. Before we go to church this morning and I get a little excited, I want to take you to school just for a little bit. Is that all right? The time of Isaiah is marked by sin, suffering, violence, greed, and dehumanization, to say the least. Isaiah is speaking to what the Bible calls the remnant of Israel. It is what's left of the Israelites. They have gone through so much and have, have, have suffered so much loss that they are the remnant. 700, this is written 700 years before Christ steps on the scene. The children of Israel are in captivity King after king has failed them. Human king, that is. Human king after human king has let them down. They've been invaded and oppressed by the Assyrians in the north and the Babylonians in the south. They are suffering a very horrible time in their life, being invaded, oppressed. People are going through the worst of times. They're suffering from so much, and they're squeezed from the north and the south, and it's just a remnant of them. It's just a little bit of leftover of what God is going to use. And I don't have this in my notes, but I just want to encourage you this morning that even when it feels like you don't have enough, enough in God's hand is going to be more than enough. 
You take what you have, and it may feel as if their things are losing and you aren't working with enough, and the person next to you has this, and another person has this, and it feels like you have less than. Can I let you know that what you have in God's hand is more than enough? To simply put it, Isaiah is writing to us to say it is a dark time. You look at the chapter right before it, towards the end, Isaiah 8, verse 22. I don't have it on the screens, but I'll read it in your hearing. It says, then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and a fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. God is familiar with overcoming darkness. That is point number one. That is the emphasis of our time together because I think for some of us in this room, we're also faced with darkness. We're also faced with a hard time and a hardship. And it's one thing to be faced with darkness, to be in a dark place, but it's another thing to be in a dark place and you can't get yourself out of it. Have you been there? where you try to make your own situation better, where you do all that you can in your might and in your will to change something and nothing is getting better. It's only feeling like more and more darkness. It feels as if you're in a cycle, and the more you try, the more you put an effort into your own will, it feels like you just go in circles. I've learned something about humans, that we try to control our situations. But what does it look like for us to surrender? What does it look like for us to let go? What does it look like for us to have a full dependence on God? The more we try to control a situation, we see that light comes no sooner. What happens when we're in a dark place and it feels like we can't get out? Can I encourage you this morning That darkness is darkness, and you got to name that. Don't ever get to a place where you normalize your hardship. Don't ever get to a place where you normalize dysfunction. Let me park right here and just let you know that darkness was never something that we were meant to stay in. Darkness was never a place that we were meant to stay in. Sometimes I think it's sort of like when we wake up during the middle of the night, it's like me. I don't turn on any lights, and I just try to walk my way through, and then eventually my eyes adjust, and I kind of feel like, okay, I don't need to turn any lights on, right? My wife always tells me, turn the lights on. Don't get to a place where you normalize your darkness. Just because you can handle abuse doesn't mean that you were created for abuse, Just because you are strong enough to work for a narcissistic boss does not mean you were created to work for a narcissistic boss. Just because you can manage that addiction does not mean that you were created to manage that addiction. Just because you've dealt with a toxic family member your whole life does not mean you were created to stay in a toxic relationship your whole life. Just because you are getting away with that thing that nobody knows about right now That doesn't mean that you are created to stay in a place just walking around as if nobody knows. We sit in a time where we normalize darkness. Just because we're able to handle it, we begin to come to a place where we are the God of our lives. 
little g that is. But you weren't created to sit on that throne. That throne that you're sitting on, that, that, that place that you keep trying to fight for, that steering wheel that you got your hands on and you tell Jesus, it's good to have you in the passenger seat, but I'm driving this thing is not what you were created for. And at every turn, you see it. You can look back over your life and look at your exes and see that you weren't created to choose your own spouse. You can look back at your old jobs and say, I tried to do that and force that situation, and that was not what was supposed to be there. But we get to a place where we think we can be God. Can I let you know something real quick and excuse my language? You make for a sucky God. (laughs) I just want to just tell you that this morning. But there is hope in that, that we don't have to rely on our own. One of the things about darkness that I have to make mention of is that as I study it more and I look at humanity and I look at our nation, I look at the the time of when Isaiah is writing, I begin to see that darkness, a.k.a. sin, we got to recognize is not only something that is external but internal. Oh, ain't no amens right there. Let me step aside for a second. We can applaud and amen for all the sins that's out there and for the person that's down the street. But when it comes to your doorstep, I got to let you know it's not just something that is external but internal. It's not only a sin from society, but it is a sin from within. It's a darkness that we have to deal with. Don't get me wrong. We are beautifully and wonderfully made, made in God's image. God loves us. We are worthy of his love. He shows us this on the cross, but don't get it twisted. You ain't God. And there was a problem on this earth that God saw that when he looked at humanity, he had to recognize there is a darkness that covers all. And darkness does not discriminate. Tall people got darkness. Short people got darkness. Wide people got darkness. Skinny people got darkness. Black people got darkness. White people got darkness. Everybody got darkness. I got darkness. You got darkness. ASU fans got darkness. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Lord knows U of A fans got darkness. Easy, easy. There is a darkness, and darkness does not discriminate. I'm going to go ahead and step on your toes because I'm just a guest preacher, and I'm going to be out my way at 4 o'clock. But Republicans got darkness. Lord knows Democrats got darkness. Let me park for a second just to let you know that's why the people of God, we don't fit in any political party perfectly at all because we don't serve an elephant. We don't serve a donkey. We serve the Lamb of God because we know, amen, somebody. That it wasn't an elephant that saved us, wasn't a donkey that saved us. It was the lamb of God that our allegiance and our surrenderance is to. And it was that lamb that stooped down to see that we were in need and came to our rescue. Humanity is awesome. Humanity is made in God's image, but we cannot do this alone. I'm a little bit off my notes here, but I'm just going to keep preaching this thing. This is my problem when it comes to how we talk about justice. One of my mentors, he says it this way, that justice without Jesus is just us. And I don't know about you, but when we look at leaving the problems are in our society to just us, 
we find ourselves in a heap of issues. But when we find ourselves with Jesus intertwined with justice, we begin to find ourselves with a true reconciliation, a true harmony, a true healing, a true place where we see the God's kingdom coming to this world, where we see a new Jerusalem. We begin to see a city on a hill. We begin to live as God's people. Jesus is intertwined with justice, and we have to talk about it in that way. We are people of God. As much as I'm talking about darkness, I'm turning the corner and I'm wrapping my way up to simply say, although darkness discriminates, does not discriminate, neither does light. Neither does the light of Christ discriminate. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2 puts it this way, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. He's writing in a warning, a foreshadowing, a foretelling of what is to come, a hope that is to hold on to, that although things may seem dark and gloomy right now, that there is a hope that we can put in the light of this world, that it will not always be dark. It will not always have trouble. Sam Cooke said a change is going to come, and that is the light of the world that we see. That is the hope that we can put our trust in, that we can put our hope hope in. Amen. Eugene Peterson puts it this way, a pastor in the pastoral passage of it, he says, a sunburst of light. And I'll let you know that the place that we find ourselves in, not only did Isaiah find a darkness that he had to wrestle with and he was tired of and he didn't feel like and he was oppressed by, that that light came in during his time, and that light also came in when baby Jesus stooped down. Majesty came into this world. The question is, if we receive that light, do we also show that light to others? If your neighbor says that all things are just dark and they don't see any hope in this world, have you shown them what it looks like to live in such a way that although darkness is here, that light will always overcome darkness. I said I had two points. Number one, God is familiar with overcoming darkness. Point number two, and I'm out your way, you will be faced with darkness, but you have point number one. All right, I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it again. I almost got the whole room. Point number one, God is familiar with overcoming darkness. Point number two, you will be faced with darkness, but you got point number one. God is familiar with overcoming darkness. That's point number one. Point number two is that you will be faced with darkness, but you got point number one. Amen. What we see, not only in chapter 9, but this same Isaiah writes in chapter 7 that he gives him not only the name Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father, but he gives him this name, Emmanuel. God with us. Tim Keller writes that it is no other religion as he scanned all religions, all spiritualities, all things in our world. There was none that said our God, our divine being became flesh. This is a distinctive marker of Christianity. And what this means for us changes everything. That God is with us. 
Hebrews 4 verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. It's something about having a God who has walked this walk. It's something about having a Savior who has done, has gone the same path and has been faced with the same turmoil, has faced the same corruption, has faced the same darkness, has walked the road of being in this human flesh, of struggling day in and day out, having issues in the flesh and yet without sin. There's a God that is worth following that can empathize, that can understand when I'm sitting in my room and I'm feeling like I'm alone and it does not feel like anybody is coming to my rescue, he can empathize. He can empathize with your situation when it feels like no one is there, when it feels like you're in a cycle of darkness. He can empathize with our weaknesses. There's a story of some parents, and the parents uh, they start talking about uh, the, the, their newborn parent. They got a newborn. They get their first newborn. And this newborn is one that's crying throughout the night, uh, but the mom stays asleep. And the dad gets up every single time and goes pick the baby up out the crib, and he's sitting there, and he's bouncing the baby. And the mom gets up. She walks in the room, and she says, you can't keep picking the baby up. If we're going to sleep train, if we're going to do all these things, you can't keep picking it up. Day after day, dad keeps going in the room, picking the baby up. He just can't bear it. So she says, again, you cannot go pick the baby up. The next night, she hears the baby crying. They're both laying down. She sees him go get up, but he doesn't come back. The baby stops crying, but she doesn't come back. She's walking in the room. She's upset. She gets there. She doesn't see the father holding the baby, bouncing the baby. What she sees is the father in the crib sleep with the baby. The next day, she gets upset, and she tells him, I told you not to pick up the baby. She said, I didn't pick up the baby. You said don't pick up the baby. You never said don't get in the crib with the baby. <laughs> and if you catch it early, I won't have to preach as hard. <laughs> Hope Covenant Church, we have a God who didn't just stand back and say, I love you. He came close, and he drew near to us. He didn't just leave humanity to itself. He saw that humanity was in need, and love has proximity to it. Love decides to move close towards suffering. Love decided to not just say, I love you, but move close to us. We have a God who came near us. He didn't just sit back and with his arms folded. He didn't just say, I love you. He doesn't just love you. He likes you. He wants to be with you. He desires relationship with you. And the darkness, a.k.a. sin in this world, could never stop our God from getting close to you. So he came to defeat sin and death. And on the cross, we see a Savior who has finished it. It is finished. We recognize that Jesus Christ is our hope because darkness does not have the last say. I should have had an amen right there. Darkness does not get the last say. You can always tell the size of a problem by the size of the solution. You can always tell the size of the problem by the size of the solution. Somebody doesn't get a gunshot wound and you put a Band-Aid on it, that's not the solution. And when God looked at our world, the problem was not that we needed something that was just superficial. The, pro the size of the problem, you can always tell the size of the solution. You can always tell the size of the problem by the size of the solution. 
And we see that we should never just minimize darkness, minimize sin, minimize that this is just a thing that we should just live with. No, when God saw that we kept having this relationship barrier, becoming distant because of sin in the world, the problem was not that we needed a life coach or he would have sent us Tony Robbins and we would have been just fine. He didn't look at us and say that we need a self-help strategist. He would have gave us Oprah and we would have been just fine. He didn't say that we needed a billionaire. He would have gave us Elon Musk and we would have been just fine. He didn't look at a humanity and say what they need is a great basketball player. He would have gave us Kobe and we would have been just fine. I'm sorry, from L.A., y'all. Anyway, uh, he didn't look at the size of this problem with humanity and say that he needed a great orator. So he, gave us, he would have gave us Martin Luther King Jr. and we would have been just fine. He saw humanity was in far greater need, and what God did was wrapped himself in human flesh and came down to this world in the son of Jesus Christ, and he saw that there will be no one else. Adam could not do it. Abraham could not do it. Sarah could not do it. Maurice couldn't do it. You couldn't do it. Only Jesus Christ was the one for us. I'm here today to simply encourage you that the hope of Christmas is that God is familiar with overcoming darkness. And I want you to know this morning that darkness was defeated. I want you to know this morning the band can make their way to the stage. I want you to know this morning that darkness does not have the last say-so. I want you to know this morning that that is the hope that I'm talking about. It's not the hope that we see in movies. It's not the hope that we see in a Hallmark card. All those things are fine. The hope of Jesus Christ is the hope that only, the only, the only type of hope that can reach our souls. It's the only type of hope that a young man from Riverside, California in 2009 could have saved his life. My own personal story is one filled with a person in need of that hope. And not only have I been a person that was in need of that hope, it's been a person that is saying yes to that hope every morning. Because see, sometimes we can drift. Sometimes we can get off course. Sometimes life just has a way of moving us away from the cross and it feeling as if things are just stale and our relationship and our church walk is just casual and it becomes routine and it becomes something that is just, uh, just going through the motions and it feels like life is on autopilot and it, things are beginning to just languish. And Can I just let you know sometimes we have to say yes to hope again? Sometimes we have to pray for that refreshing again? Sometimes we have to have moments like the Christmas season to say, God, would you just help me? Would you empower me with that sense of awe again? Would you give me that awe of who you are, that creator and creation, that, that, that place where I recognize how small I am and how big you are? That place that I've sensed your love again, that love that no one else could give me, that love that a young boy in 2009 kept searching for in relationship after relationship. A womanizer, addicted to pornography, jumping from party scene to party scene, feeling as if because I'm good at sports or be good at these things that maybe that's the affirmation that I need. And people saw with a big smile and charisma and didn't know that there was a loneliness inside. Didn't know that there was something that could not touch my soul, but only the love of Jesus could. Alcohol couldn't do it. Sex couldn't do it. Drugs couldn't do it. 
living a life of greed and ambition. Money couldn't do it. Promotion after promotion couldn't do it. These things could not do it. Only recognizing God's love that I did not have to strive for, that I did not have to fight for, that I did not have to keep trying to, 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 to gain, to have to try to achieve. But God loved me just as I am. This morning, that is the hope of the world that we have, and you are in need of that hope. Your neighbor is in need of that hope. The city is in need of that hope. Our society is in need of that hope. May we be reminded as we leave this place, we will be faced with darkness. We will see darkness at every turn. We will turn on the news and see darkness. We will see darkness in our world, but we serve a God who is familiar with overcoming darkness. You are not alone. You have a God who has gotten in this thing with you to show you that you are worth dying for, to show you that I know life can be hard, but there is a refreshing, there is a forgiveness. The same things that you read in Scripture when you look at your life and you say that these things don't add up. I see the miracles in this world. I see the miracles in the Bible, and I see the miracles in this, this passage, and I see the, 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 the love in this passage, and I see that that type of relationship that my friend has or that person has and the way that they love Christ. But I'm telling you, what about me? I'm here to tell you this morning, this message is for you. I'm here to tell you this morning that there is a refreshing of God's forgiveness. I'm here to tell you that it may seem as if that you are far off from God and that there is a distance between you and God. But can I tell you that there is no distance? The distance and the gap between you and God was closed when majesty stooped thousands of years ago. And it may feel as if you are far off, but can I tell you that God's presence is near to the brokenhearted? Good God. God's presence and his love is near to those who are brokenhearted. He's near to those who are oppressed. God is near to those who have faced trouble. God is near to those who are spiritually broken. God is near. He does not sit and look at humanity and the brokenness that we have seen and the, the trouble that we go through. And I wonder, and I know that there's questions that people ask, where is God? Why do we suffer? Great questions to ask, but can I let you know that God, our God, Emmanuel, is right here with us. And we place God on the seat of our hearts. And we come again before him, laying our lives down, surrendering. It's not always going to be the easiest thing. It's not always going to feel like the mountaintop. But can I tell you, he's with you in the valley. I'm off my notes. I just feel like talking to you, Hope Covenant. <laughs> this morning, as we talk about the awaiting, the arrival of King Jesus, uh, as we sit in this place of the in-between, the, the, the not yet and the already, can we recognize this morning that the hope of God is that in the in-between, he is with us. He was with Isaiah. He was with Abraham. He was with Isaac. He was with Jacob. He was with Moses. When you read these scriptures, be encouraged that those same things that they face, those same things that God was bringing them through is the same God that's going to bring you through. The same God that has brought people through time and time again. This is the type of God that we serve. Would you pray with me this morning? God, two simple points. That you are familiar with overcoming darkness that we will face darkness, but we have point number one. Thank you for never leaving us nor forsaking us, even when it feels like it has been. 
Thank you for never top, stop talking to us, Lord, even when it feels like you're saying nothing. Thank you for never stop pursuing us, God, even when it feels like you've given up. Thank you for seeing us as worthy, even when it feels like I'm not worthy. God, thank you for calling me. Thank you for having a plan for our lives, even when it feels like there is no plan, even when it feels like there's nothing to live for. God, thank you. Thank you for opening my eyes this morning. Thank you for allowing me to find my way into this church, even if I had to stumble my way here. Lord, I thank you for seeing me enough to send a preacher to preach this word that I was in need of. Thank you for a church community that'll surround me. Thank you, Lord, for that yes. There's some people under the sound of my voice that there is another yes within you that God is birthing. That maybe you have said yes a couple years ago. Maybe you said yes a couple months ago. Maybe you've said yes to God's will and his call on your life. And it feels as if that yes has dried up. God, thank you for another yes. Thank you for birthing another yes. Thank you for the revival of a yes within me. Thank you for, Lord, I'm going to give it a go again. I'm going to say yes again. It's going to be hard, but, Lord, I'm giving it another go. I'm going to draw near to you, Lord. When we draw near to you, you said you draw near to us. May you, Lord, stir up in our spirits, not just for some spiritual high, but Lord, that we may experience you beyond Sunday. That as I'm driving in our cars, on our way home from work, Lord, may I just turn off the radio and the podcast to just hear your voice, to just be with you, Lord. May I find my way on a Thursday, Lord, just finding myself as I'm falling into bed before I do, Lord, getting on my knees, and it's been a long time, but Lord, I'm here again. That's for somebody in this room. Here I am again. Here I am again. If that's the only prayer that we pray, Lord, would you hear us? If that's the only words that we can utter, would you hear those words, Lord, that here we are again. I don't have much for you. I don't have much words, but here I am just as I am. And Lord, we know as we look in Scripture, that's all that we need. Thank you for seeing us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for seeing us as enough. Thank you for seeing us as worthy. Would you move in a direction? Would you move in somebody's heart this morning? That has been reaching, that has been striving, that has been trying to figure it out, that has been fighting spiritually. Warring in the spirit, not knowing which way to turn. It, it, somebody's in this room and it feels as if you're just going from Monday to Tuesday and Tuesday to Wednesday and it, it feels as if each day has just passed you on to the next day and you don't have any sort of, sort, sort of agency over your life. This word, which has the power to transform, this word, which has nothing to do with me, this word is for you this morning. The word that has the power to transform life, the gospel of Jesus Christ that has the power to touch the soul of a person. For it is the power, we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power unto salvation. 
thank you for this moment. We thank you for that chains being loosed. We thank you, Lord, for momentum. We thank you, Lord, for stirring it up again. We thank you for moving in the direction of us again. We thank you for another step after step again. This is the hope that you have called us to. This is the hope that we hold on to. And for that, we say thank you. In Jesus' name, I